welcome to Unscripted Pivots. I am your host, Danielle Sproles. I've always been fascinated by the many women I've met who have, like me, experienced so many unplanned detours throughout their life. Some pivots fall within our professional careers and others are dictated by changes in our personal life. There is a saying, life is what happens when you are busy making other plans. Sound familiar? These are what I like to call unscripted pivots. Have you ever found yourself saying WTF? Well, WTF stands for Women That Flourish on this podcast. Here you will find candid conversations with women like yourself who have dug deep. They have met their pivots with courage, resilience, and creativity. They have not only stepped outside their comfort zone, they have expanded it. Here you will find the tools and resources that you need for whatever life may be throwing you today. I strongly believe there is strength in community, and I invite you in to meet some new friends. They are women that flourish. They are you. On today's episode, we meet Danny Morin. Danny and I met a few years ago in 2018, soon after I moved to California. I immediately was drawn to her remarkable energy and creative spirit. At the time, she was already kicking ass and taking names as an award-winning sales executive in the education software industry. I knew early on, though, that there was a deep pain behind all that success. You see, Danny is a straight shooter. She is transparent, especially whenever it means she can help another woman. And we will hear more about that today. In just these past two plus years, Danny's talent and creativity have exploded. In addition to that robust career I just mentioned, Danny has also become a single mom by choice, a hugely popular mom content creator on social media, a child safety advocate, and recently she launched a breastfeeding clothing line called Zippy Mama. Where Danny sees a problem, she is all about finding the solution. Let's listen in. Welcome, Danny, to Unscripted Pivots, part two. Okay, this is so funny because this is the second time we're doing this because it didn't record well yesterday. It didn't record at all, actually. So another example of how we can expect the unexpected. I'm so glad to have you back. I thank you for your friendship and your flexibility. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, I could talk to you forever. Um, so <laughs> this is no problem at all. And Actually, you're perfect for this job. I'm so excited for you because you're someone that's a great listener, but you're a very good talker and you have a way of thinking and bringing things to light. And I love unscripted pivots. I feel like our life is full of all of these little decisions that we do not know at the time can be huge decisions at the end of the day. A small decision that we make, a little turn that we make or a big turn that we make, but these little turns can turn into these like huge changes in our lives. So exactly. I don't know how you came up with the title of your show, but it could not be more perfect than I think what a lot of us women go through in our lives. Well, I'll tell you, coming from you as a creative spirit and also as a very successful businesswoman, that means a lot to me. So thank you for the compliment. I receive it. Let's start with how you approached your life. Let's bring you back to about maybe 18 years old, because this is when I see the most interesting shifts that are starting to happen. I know that happened in my life and I'd like to explore yours. Well, I think 
you know, there's a couple things that, and we have to look at like generations and stuff like that. But, you know, I grew up in a family, my mom and dad were both in sales and it's, you go to college, you get a job in sales. It does not matter what you get your degree in, but you get a job in sales, get that company car, have a base salary with commission at the end or a bonus. That's just like what I was brought up into. So you go to a four-year college, it really doesn't matter. Just go to one. So I went to Cal State Fullerton and I've always worked. So I started working at 14. I was able to work for like four hours a week or something like that. I worked at Johnny Rockets, like right when it opened. And I loved working. Like I loved getting a paycheck and having my own money, buying my own cheerleading outfits and my dance costumes and my prom dresses and doing everything myself. For some reason, I loved that I was able to do that. I bought my first car my grandpa for $400 at Chrysler LeBaron. So all of these things, like it wasn't luxury, but I did it myself, you know? So when I went to college, I worked at the college pub and I still did all of that. But like college to me was just something I had to get through. And at first I wanted to, and we'll get into this later, but I actually was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a business. I always had all these ideas flowing through my mind of like all these different business ideas, right? Now they would come and go, but for a good solid three days, like I was going to do this <laughs> and nothing has changed to this day Ooh. except for my follow through is a little bit better. Oh, yeah. So my mind has always, I felt been very, and I kind of call it creative because I think entrepreneurs are very creative where I would have this idea and like, this would be a, you know, and how could I put this together? So I wanted to go to business school and I could not pass calculus. I took it three times. So I got put on uh, probation at school. And they said, you know, you're always carrying around that video camera. I filmed everything. I had one of those old school cameras. What year were, were the 2006, seven, eight. Okay. Okay. So I had one of those cameras, those handheld cameras, and I filmed everything on campus. I filmed parties. I mean, my job, I filmed everything. I have boxes and boxes of videotapes, right? And I used to edit them. And so I remember the dean of business at Cal State Fullerton was like, you're not going to cut it here. Like you're not cut out for business. You're never going to be a business person, but you kill it with that camera. Why don't you go to do broadcast journalism or radio TV film? I found out that was actually extremely easy. So I'm all perfect. You know, it's something that's fun for me. And now lo and behold, we'll get into the whole TikTok of it all later. But I went there, I finished school. I graduated a little bit early because I had taken some college courses while I was in high school. and. I got into my mid twenties. I feel like that's when a huge shift happens. You're in this point where it's like, you just finished college. You're supposed to go make immediately make a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Like that's what you think. And next thing I know, I'm working at enterprise rent a car, making $30,000 a year. This is not what I went to college for. But again, you go get a sales job, you work your way up. And that's what I was taught. So I did work all the sales jobs. I worked in wine. I worked at Enterprise. I did a little bit of recruiting. And this is all everybody goes through this. And I bet, Danielle, I guarantee that you probably did the same thing in your 20s. You probably had maybe a couple of things. I feel like everybody you does. Know, like my, my life was actually a little bit different than that because I met my first husband when I was 19. So by the time I was in my early 20s, I got married at 22, immediately started law school. And then the next thing you know, graduate, pass the bar and start having children. And then I spent 
all of the 90s having children. I had my first one in 91, a second one in 93, another one in 95, and my last one in 99. So <laughs> I was, that is so crazy. I did not know that about you. <laughs> yes. I, okay. yeah, I, didn't, I didn't do anything in my 20s but produce babies, to be honest with you, and live a very suburban life, which was beautiful. I have no complaints, but that was not by my design, I assure you. Yeah. Well, so, you know, but I feel like at that 24 years of age where it's like, what is my purpose? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? But I did what I was always taught, which is get a sales job, work your way up, make your bonuses. And, you know, it's a comfortable situation. And then a random pivot, I got pregnant. Mm. So I thought that I was going to be living in New York, being a boss ass bitch in some high rise, just like dating hot guys on Wall Street, just living the dream. Getting married has never been something that I've ever dreamed of, still is not. <laughs> so I thought, you know, maybe having companions or whatever, but I did fall pregnant. Okay. I was immediately single by situation. And it's so crazy because the second that I found out that I was pregnant, something came over me and I was like, this is my purpose in life is to be a mother to this child. Everything changed. Suddenly my career meant nothing. Big pivot. Not that I didn't care about it, but it was (laughs) like, I made it my everything. You know what I mean? And then suddenly I'm looking up car seats. I'm researching strollers and all of these crazy things. Motherhood was my purpose. And I think that God has a funny way of showing you what you think that you know that you don't. Exactly. You know what I mean? And you have to be open to receive it. But tell me about that because I know that this story becomes painful for you and I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing it with us. Of course. I always get this wrong. I want to say I was 25 when I got pregnant and I had my son Deacon at 26. So now I was a college graduate. I also had a good paying job. I was living in Newport Beach, but I didn't realize the cost of a child and all of the, not just the cost, but the emotional help that you would need. And just that extra set of hands, like when do you take a shower? Like, you know, all these crazy things you do not think of. And so, I mean, I have to applaud moms that have like four or five, even two kids. Like (laughs) it is a lot, you know what I mean? So you were doing it alone. I mean, let's not discount that. You know, you didn't have, I, you know, I did end up moving back in with my mom before I had him just because, you know, after I was kind of figuring things out, I'm all. I'm not going to be able to do this in my Newport Beach apartment. So I moved home, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. And my mom was 100% on board to help out. She still is, man. Like she is a dream. So he was born light of my life. I mean, and this does take a turn. So just trigger warning, but that kid taught me so many lessons just on life and what love means. I've never been in love before. He was the first boy I ever said I love you to. Not oh, even my dad. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. A child's love is very different though. That's unique. There's nothing that yeah. compares to that. We know that. It's the craziest thing. Like you would do anything for your child. Describe Deacon's personality. So it's so funny that you're asking me this because I can talk about the logistics. Like it is no problem. I've shared my story more times than I can count. Rarely do people ask me about him. So if I get emotional, just... It's okay. Bring it on. Yeah. We're here to share. But yeah, so 
He didn't speak at all. He had some hearing issues. He loves soccer, very athletic. And now I have another child who is not athletic at all, just (laughs) wants to play golf and read and is two different people. But he was just such a goofball, very loving, always want to be held, always hugging. But yeah, love to kick the soccer ball around, love to hit the baseball, love to go on walks, go into the beach. Like he thrived on all of these things. And he did so much in his lifetime. We went to every fair. We didn't miss anything, even Mm. though I'll still find things that I wish I would have taken him to. But, you know, those are the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. I can make a lot of videos on those. But yeah, I mean, he was just a light and not only like, I felt also, you know, there was a time my mom's a single mom. I moved to college. My sister moves to college. My brother moves for a job. And then for whatever reason, when he was born, my sister graduated. So she was kind of in that 24, she just got her master's and she's all, what do I do now? Right. So she had kind of moved back in with us. My brother was transitioning to a new job. He moved back into our home. So now it's me, my mom, my brother, my sister, as we were when we grew up and this little boy. What a beautiful gift. It was the craziest thing. Like when you think about it from, when you look back on it, I was so mad. Like, oh my God, my brother's going to move back in. Like what? Like, but my brother was the biggest help, you know? (laughs) And so it was the craziest thing that we had that. You know, I want to just credit your mom here because not only is she so great to you today, I see it all over TikTok and, you know, in our private conversations, I hear about her helping you with Gret. But, you know, she modeled for you what it is to be a mom, what it is to have that, you know, open heart and those open arms and to continue to receive. Because as you're telling me this, I'm really moved by the fact that you always had a family that knew that they could always come home and that they would get the unconditional love and support no matter where they were at, your mom was ready to meet them. And now you're modeling that. Kudos to it's mom. It's so funny that you say that because if my mom's listening, she's going to be like, I should have taught them something different because we're still coming home. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's just how it's always been is family is the foundation. And we did all feel comfortable coming back. And it was just like another pivot, Danielle, yeah. of like, who would have thought that we needed that so much, you know, that we all needed to be with each other. It really was a blessing in disguise. And so now I was a working mom. My mom also was working in pharmaceuticals. So she was not watching him and he did go to childcare. Um, he had gone to a couple childcare in home childcares that were phenomenal. But one lady ended up moving. The other lady that we had ended up not watching infants. And so we had to find another option. And the option that I chose was not the right one. So in 2016, in October, my son Deacon was strangled Mm. by a Baltic amber teething necklace at his daycare that we later found out was negligent in the situation. So if you don't know what a Baltic amber teething necklace is, it is said that the succinic acid in the Baltic amber, it's these, you've seen them on kids. They're still quite popular, but they are these little beads that are strung on a necklace that release the systemic acid when the baby's skin is inflamed and helps with inflammation. Supposedly, that's what it was. Now, back in 2014-15, there was a huge fad of the all-natural mama, right? Who breastfeeds for two years, who cloth diapers, 
She uses essential oils. And if you're a 2014-15 mom, you probably were a part of this too. And that mother wanted to do what was best for her baby. And we were going on, we were going on these mommy blogs. So there was no TikTok or anything like that. We were going on these mommy blogs to get our information from people that just were not experts, just moms that had something to say. And we all kind of fell into this life of the all natural mama. And it ended up being quite dangerous for like a lot of us, me included. And there was no pediatricians online giving us the actual facts. Like we didn't know what the AAP was. Like there wasn't these things. Our Google was inundated with mommy blogs. And so the AAP articles were just way at the bottom. We weren't even looking at those. Sure. So you were listening that you were just all perpetuating opinions, right? But I mean, you know, loving yeah, ones and, and they were coming from a sound place, but there was no medical basis or scientific fact around that. I've heard you talk about this before. Those necklaces were really marketed to be safe and you had no reason to think that something was wrong with it. Although I will share, you know, back when I was having all my kids in the nineties, we didn't put anything on their necks. In fact, my, my very best friend from childhood, very Italian, and it's very customary in their culture to, you know, wear a crucifix. And, you know, she gave one of my sons, she's the godmother, you know, cross, and she wanted him to wear it. And I was like, absolutely not. But I was raising them in a culture where I was paranoid about everything, like too much. I was like the other end of the pendulum. I <laughs> just, you know. Well, looking at it now, you would think, who puts a necklace around their child? who puts anything around their child's neck. But the way that these were marketed was these are safe for your baby. They are helping your baby. If your baby's in pain, this is going to relieve it. And it's a natural way. You don't have to give them Tylenol and all this medication because this is the natural way. And so when you're seeing thousands and thousands of moms, honestly, your stamp of approval in 2015 to be a mom was to use one. To prove that you were the all natural mom that was like, you know, one of these types. And yeah, looking back at it, I'm like, what in the actual hell was I thinking? But I, you know, I wanted. Well, hindsight's 2020, but it was a good decision at the time. So just take us to that day, just briefly. I know it's painful for you. Basically, that necklace, it was gifted to me off of Etsy. I asked for it for my baby shower and they gifted it to me off of Etsy. The daycare. Basically, I went to go pick up my son and there's all fire department, EMTs and stuff. And they were like, that's the mom. And I was like, what do you mean that's the mom? And he was like, he had a heart thing. And I'm like, he doesn't have heart issues. Like what? And then the daycare was like, you're going to want to blame us for this, but just know this is all your fault. And I was like, what is going on? Wait a minute. Let me take a pause. Nobody called you. You were just showing up on time. To pick him up with absolutely no warning beforehand. You're just driving up at regular scheduled pickup time. And this is what you're coming upon. And you're seeing first responders in front of the home where you know your child is. Did you immediately intuitively think this is about Deacon or where was your head? No, they were like walking up to me and then I started running towards the house. And it was very strange because they weren't letting me into the house and the daycare was running around in there like crazy. And she's all, hey, you're going to want to blame us. Just know this is your fault. And I'm like, something is off. I remember her driving me to the hospital and I'm calling my mom and the daycare owner is driving my car and I'm telling my mom, I think she has something to do with it. Something is off at the house, like blah, 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 blah. So I had this 
feeling. Now, when I got there, they're like, I saw a strangulation mark. So I'm like, what happened? They're like, the necklace was involved. We don't know the logistics to this day. The day the deacon was alive at this point. He was coding like three, four times, but they were able to get a pulse, which is where okay. the daycare comes into play because the daycare, they can't remember the last time that they checked on him. They think he was sleeping, but they're not sure. They're only supposed to be watching six kids, two infants, and four other children. They're watching over 20 that we know of. Two people watching 20 kids, older kids, younger kids, babies. So when they found Deacon, they just thought that he was dead. So they called their boss and they said, he's dead. What should we do? The boss says, don't call 911 until I get there. And this was all in text messages. So we actually, that's where the arrest was made because by the time she got there and they did call 911, they were able to revive Deacon. And they said, had we been here this many minutes ago, six to 12 minutes ago, this would look different. And they found him like way prior to that. So yeah, they didn't call 911 or do CPR because cover they wanted to hide, cover their tracks because they're like, he's already dead. Let's just hide the kids, right? Let's just not get caught. So that's where the arrest was made on this, their part. So a lot of people are like, well, was it the daycare or was it the necklace? It was both. Okay. Etsy sold a necklace to a mother that didn't break and strangled her child. They didn't sell it to me. They sold it to someone who gifted it to me, but they sold a necklace. And not only my child, now tons of parents have come forward that similar things have happened to their kids. Luckily, they were there to kind of stop the strangulation from ending in tragedy. But this has happened to a lot of moms. And then the daycare was negligent. So take the necklace out of it. The daycare is still watching 20 kids too many and they could not handle it. Take the daycare out of it. The necklace was still a strangulation hazard. So, you know, two things can be the same at once. So it just like shook my world. And I still have a, you know, a lot of people are like, you need to learn forgiveness. And it's like, well, you know, like, no, no I, I will never forgive and I'll never forget. And I don't care how many churches I go to or programs that I work, I will never forgive or forget. That will never in my lifetime ever happen. Okay. I, you know, I, have never been down this path and I have four kids and I can't even imagine anything tragically happening to any of them at any age. So I hear you, but what I want to acknowledge and celebrate about you is that you've taken your pain and you've given it a purpose. You have not only sought justice for yourself, but you have raised awareness for the community at large and the ripple effect of that, you know, you don't even know what that is. No one knows what that is, except that we know that it's extensive, Danny. You have brought this to the attention of politicians and lawmakers. You know, you have visibly marched. You started something called Deacon's Army. I'd like to hear a little bit about that. And, you know, in doing so, you have saved kids that you've never met. Yeah. So it's interesting because I realized right away, like the police didn't want to really look into it. They called yeah, it SIDS. No. He was mm-hmm. almost two years old. That was not in the, I'm like, that's, there's a strangulation mark, but they just wanted to write it off. The Department of Social Services, they said, we're going to do a 90 day investigation. And if we feel the need to close the daycare down and I'm like, oh my God, everyone's going to get away with this, you know? And I was like, so angry. And when you release mama bear, I mean, a mover and a shaker comes out. 
I am Tarzan. I'm going crazy. And I could have gone crazy in a way that would land me in jail, or I could go crazy in a way that would help others. And I chose the latter. You know what I mean? So I found this organization called Child Care Aware of America. And they basically are like lobbyists to help have affordable, safe, and quality childcare for all in America. And I was able to go to DC two or three times, actually. I talked to over probably 20, 25 Congress people sharing my story and why we need funding to make sure that these daycares, like the child cares, they don't make money. It's a double-edged sword because we're spending so much money. They're actually not making any money. And so they are walking this fine line of, well, we'll just take in one more kid, one more kid. And then when they get caught taking in kids, it's a $200 fine, but they're not going to get checked on again for five more years. And that's how it was in California. And I was like, no, we need annual check-ins, facility checks. California has the most deaths by childcare. Actually, if you include all the states together without New York, New York's also a whole issue, but all the states together, California still has the most deaths by daycare. We have the least amount of facility checks. The Department of Social Services gets paid the least amount, so they have a lot of turnover. And California actually makes the most money to allocate towards childcare, but they don't know how. So it is just the system is really messed up. And one thing I like to say is that when it comes to childcare, think about it this way. Millions of planes take off every year. Thousands take off every day. We only hear about the one that Mm -hmm. crashes every five years, right? So when you look at childcare, like we're not hearing that little Cindy Apple's daycare did everything right today and is phenomenal. We only hear about the Deacon situation or the tragedies. And so I don't want parents getting in their mind of, oh my gosh, this is going to happen to me. Because No, you're hearing about one daycare. And in California, there's hundreds of thousands. It's about doing your research, which is when I started Deacon's Army was about doing the research. And I have a checklist that you could take in and it's all the things you could legally ask where you could go inside the childcare, things that you need to know. I have a video on how to research it. So I always ask parents like, how do you research your childcare? Oh, well, I go on Yelp. Okay, so if you're seeing 20 Yelp reviews that are positive, why is that daycare watching exactly. 20 kids? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not a good sign. You need to go onto the licensing department and see, has there been complaints? Has there been violations? What were the violations? And they're categorized by like the worst being an A to the least being like a C. How many violation A's have they had? What were they for? Are they hitting kids? Are they watching too many? And like, you can make the decision from there. And then going in and appropriately asking the questions. And that's just information that we do not have. In fact, the Department of Social Services does not want you actually going in and doing this. So they make it really hard for you to find the license numbers and research them. But I have a whole video on it. So that's kind of why I started Deacon's Army was to give parents resources on how to reach out to your Congress people to ask for more funding or more resources, and then how to do the research yourself because no one wants you to. Trust me, we don't have enough daycare and they don't want you finding out that some of the ones they have are bad because then there's another 16 kids they have to place somewhere else. So, you know, it is important that we do the research and not on Yelp and not on Facebook. You know what I mean? So that's like where the Deacon's Army came in. And I really just, even though I was doing all that and I was really placing that anger 
for good. Now I started with the necklace. Like in the beginning, I didn't come out and say like, we got to take these necklaces off the kids. I was still holding like a lot of guilt on it, but I was like, no, we have to take the necklaces off. And trust me, a lot of people were like, who would ever put that on their kid? Anyways, oh my God, you're crazy. I would never do that. Blah, 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 blah. That stung a lot. But I was like, I have to do this because there's still thousands and thousands and thousands of moms that are wearing these necklaces. No. And so through Deacon's Army and all the other things that you were doing to raise awareness, you really enabled other people to take a hard look at something that they weren't considering and also schooling them on how they can navigate the system, which was just a series of obstacles for yourself. So now you're doing that, but you're childless. But I know it became your life's purpose to be a mom. You were so surprised at how fulfilling it was because it wasn't the plan to do in your 20s, right? And now there is a huge hole in your life that could never be filled really. But when I met you, when I moved to California in 2017, I think we met around 2018, you shared your story with me and, I, you know, very heartbroken, but you were determined at that time. You were ready. You had been working through your grief and you were ready to become a mother again. And you didn't have a guy in your arm yet. And I think you came to terms with the fact that you didn't need one and you were exploring self-love at the time. And you went ahead with a whole nother plan. And I want to hear about that because it fascinates me that you took that course. So tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, I did a lot of the advocacy stuff, but that was giving yeah. me emotional hangover, you know? So I had to kind of like tone it down. We found a great group of lawyers. We worked with like Gloria Allred's team and John Carpenter, and they really like just kind of took it out of my hands. And they just did amazing work on dealing with holding people responsible, essentially. And I can't really get into that, but I felt like I was able to breathe. Like, okay, I don't need to, and I'm always so in control. Like, I don't need to continue to fight this. I've lost all my friends. Yeah. With grief, you lose everything else. Trust me, you're a different person, and it's there's no rule book. So my friends were not expecting me to go off the deep end because I lost a child. Nobody was expecting that. No one knew how right. to help me. I didn't know how to help myself, but I had to figure that out. And I just remember being like, God, I don't know why I keep on waking up because I don't want to. But if you're going to keep waking me up every morning, I got to be living my best life. I got to. But you were still working. You're still crushing it in your sales job and your day thing. It wasn't that you oh, were under the covers. I mean, there is no. Yeah. It was just, well, think about it this way. I'm walking, here's the world and I'm walking in it, but everything else is just this black cloud. I do not remember oh. ever seeing color. Like yeah. it was just black. It was a black cloud where I was going through the motions and I was just in this dark cloud and nothing was going to get better. I just wanted it to end. And so finally, I'm just like, I got to get to be the best version of myself. And I took the steps to make that happen. And it's like, man, you really yeah. see clearly, you know what I mean? It opens up. And I remember like laughing for the first time, seeing color, enjoying my job. But I just, there was that one hole in my heart. And it's like, you know, I lost a child. That's one thing, but I lost my purpose, which was to be a mother. And I did the dating thing again. It's like, I've never really cared about it's dating. It's too much work for it's you, never been, I've never dreamed of being. <laughs> I've never dreamed of being in a wedding dress. I couldn't imagine sharing a bed with somebody. And I'm going to attempt one day, but it's just, I was doing the dating and it was just like nothing. I knew I wanted to be a mom. So I went to Dr. Potter's office in Newport beach. I was like, I guess I'll look into seeing if I could do like IVF or something. Someone in the waiting room was like, 
have you ever tried home insemination? You can just do it yourself. It's a lot cheaper. Cause I'm mm. like, where am I going to come up with 40 grand? You know? So I looked into it and it's like, no, I could go through the same sperm bank that I was going to go through at Dr. Potter's office. They're just going to send it to my house and I'm just going to lay back and essentially put in a tampon. Essentially that's as invasive as it is and see if I can get myself pregnant. And I, I remember, you know, to- I mean, I, I think this is so funny. I mean, you're at the waiting room, you know, IVF and, and a, I guess he was an obstetrician or whatnot, a gynecologist, obstetrician doctor or fertility doctor. Fertility doctor. Fertility but, I mean, you know, where's yeah. the pamphlet on make your baby at home? You know, I mean, I've never heard of any of that until you were sharing that. <laughs> hey, if they're gonna make if they're gonna make forty thousand dollars, they don't want you going at home and doing it for a thousand. You know what I mean? Trust me. I, I wonder how many couples are doing it this way now, right? So collecting their, their husband's sperm, right? And then trying to do it because a lot of these things can put you in such a financial hardship situation. You know, you can't even afford the diapers when the baby comes. So it's so interesting. But you, you did thing. it and it worked out pretty well, pretty quickly. It worked on the first try. Yeah. So I had actually ordered three okay. months worth. So where we kind of knew where my ovulation would be at each month. And I planned on having it sent to my house each month. But it worked on the first try, which was just insane. And I remember praying to God. I'm like, God, I know that this is probably not the route that I should be taking. And if it is not the route for me, don't let it work. You're God. You know what I mean? I love that you checked in with him first, the big man upstairs, and it was his will. Yeah. And there's times that maybe I check in and he says, don't do it. I'll do it anyway. I'll beg for forgiveness later. But I was like, if I'm not supposed to be a mother or you really want me to meet someone, like put love on my heart for a man because like, I don't have that, you know? So it worked first try and that's how I've always viewed it. And I know people are like, this is not the way a family should be made, whatever. Okay. It's 2023. Like two years ago, we were eating fine dining and parking lots, like calm down, you know? So for me though, I had the answers that I need. I felt good in my decision. And all right. So, I mean, but you know, you're talking about the criticism followed and that will happen anytime somebody's doing something that's outside of what's considered to be quote unquote normal. But one of the interesting parts about this journey was that you had just recently started a TikTok presence, right? And so, you know, COVID (laughs) happens and TikTok really makes its big debut to all of us. You know, uh, I'm more of a consumer than a creator, but I hope to change that soon. And, you know, you're up there doing a couple dances. You have shared that with me. And then all of a sudden you shared this journey with the world through TikTok. So I had a friend that was going through some health issues and she was in the hospital and she was all get on TikTok. Like, let's make dances. I'm like, this is stupid, but cool, whatever. No one's on it. And then I started making like little recipes. Like I used to do these casseroles and I almost changed my name to Casserole Danny. Like I was like, <laughs> going to do didn't, ca- <laughs> no. I have to give it up to the people that cook on TikTok because it's a lot of work. But I used to make these little videos of like making these casseroles in COVID and the COVID casseroles. It was like so stupid. People started asking like, okay, you're pregnant. Do you have a husband? Like what's going on? And I didn't have followers, maybe 200 followers. But I had a few comments like, okay, so where's your husband? Who do you cook this for? And I'm my neighbor. So I remember making a video and I was like, DIY baby, how to have your own baby at home without the help of a doctor or a partner. And it took the internet by storm. People were shocked, not happy. And frankly, 
there was a whirlwind of comments and arguments about my decision to do this, which I was, I'm very secure. So I was like very secure in my decision, but it was funny to see what people had to say. This is such a great example of an unscripted pivot, right? You get on TikTok to comply with the friend's request, have a little fun. Now you're going to do some cooking. And then the world showed you what they wanted to know about Danny. It was never your intention to get that vulnerable or that personal, the personal, right? And share your life that way. But that really led to bigger and greater things. So tell us about that. I almost deleted the video actually, because my mom saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want, you know, it had gone on the news and I was like, the church people, like they're going to judge me or something. But then I was getting all these comments of moms being like, oh my gosh, I'm 38 years old. I was just going to go spend $40,000 on IVF. Do you think this is possible? Can you share the steps? So then I made another video. These are the steps that I took. You know, these are the fertility supplements that I took. And there's been a couple girls. And if you see the video or any of my videos regarding this specific topic, and I and recommend I, people to go check out your TikTok. It's at Danny yeah, Morn. Yeah. I'm, thank you. Yeah. Danny Morn 13 on TikTok. But I'm very firm in you need to look at your finances first. If you fall pregnant, I fell pregnant when I was 25, you'll figure it out. God will provide where you need it to. You will figure your life out. But if you're purposely going to go bring a child into this world, set yourself up for success where you can, you know, financially, make sure you have your support system, make sure, you know, all of these things. And I talk about that and I'm very firm on that because I'd have girls that were 20 being like, I want to be a mom. And I'm like, no, you have no idea. Like, live a little. You know what I mean? But then I had a couple girls that, hey, I'm 35. I ended a 10-year relationship. He ended up not wanting kids. And like, I don't know what to do. I'm a lawyer or I'm this. And can you walk me through that? And I'm like, 100%. So it's like, I felt like that video gave women, you know, like, hey, don't settle on guys for a baby. You don't have to. You can do this by yourself. You don't have to settle. If you're with someone where it's like, we're going in 10 years and I feel like this is just how, no, you don't have to, you know? And I felt like I gave women another option and that's what it's about. You gave women back their power. You gave the women. And, th- and yes, this is what this is all about, right? And no credit to men. There are phenomenal dads out there and maybe one day I'll meet one for red. I just spent my whole last month's salary on a freaking Orange County dating <laughs> service. So maybe they will figure it out for me. I'm currently praying to God put that need on me that put that on me that I want to marry someone or that I need to marry. I like want that feeling. I don't have it yet, but maybe, but that's the thing. I felt like I gave women just like another option. You're not optionless if you want to have a baby and you don't have to spend $40,000. So I kind of had gone into that. And then, you know, I didn't immediately, I'm like, I do not want to be just the DIY baby person. I have an obsession with baby products since I lost my child to a defective baby product. I was researching everything in the AAP and childcare research. And, you know, they had one of the first TikToks that I had watched on people teaching people how to do TikTok was find a couple topics that you could talk about for hours on end and talk about those. And I'm like, I can't just talk about fertility for hours on end. Like I'm over it, you know, but I can talk about childcare and I can talk about baby products and products that work and products don't products you should stay away from. And, you know, where's the safest place to buy and all of those things. Like I can talk about all of those. And then, you know, then there's the Amazon. Like I love showing my little Amazon hauls and like, these are what I'm, my maternity clothes. And that's how that kind of all started. And 
it just took little things. Now it's like I do talk about my dating life a little bit. And people think that that's so funny. Single mom dating, like that content's going wrong. So I just find out these little things that are going on in I my know, life. You become a TikTok sensation. You've earned pretty much celebrity status. I mean, I've watched you grow. And oh my show. gosh, not no, even. No, no, you, you really have. I mean, but you know what? You're relatable, Danny. You're authentic. Okay. And you're sincere and you give back to the community that watches you, you educate them and, you know, you show alternative ways just to how approach life in all sorts of ways. So here you go. You have Rhett, Rhett Daniel, by the way, that's another thing. So not only are we both named Danielle, we both named one of our sons with the middle name Daniel. Okay. <laughs> After our own name, because I have a Patrick Daniel and you have a Rhett Daniel. So that's a cool synergy we have going, but you have him. And then you're breastfeeding, right? You want to breastfeed, you're breastfeeding, but then you realize, well, I'm going back to work life and lo and behold, the clothes aren't cutting it. Okay. They're not conducive to quick breastfeeding in between sales appointments and whatnot. And so then true to Danny style, Danny Morin goes and invents another thing. Okay. So tell us about your company, Zippy Mama. (laughs) Yeah. So I actually have a corporate job. I work in sales. I sell e-learning curriculum. So I work for a big publisher and essentially books are gone. So you sell online books and materials. So that's what I do. And prior to the pandemic, I was traveling about 70% of the time. And what I found in the pandemic is I could actually do a lot of work from home. I could visit three states and talk to three times as many people in the matter of three hours when before I was stomping the pavement and seeing two or three people a day. So it was really working out for me where my travel was going to be a little bit limited, but I still was going to have to hit the pavement. I was still going to have to travel and stuff like that. And I had that one child that refused to ever take a bottle. (laughs) I was taking him to feeding therapists. I was taking him. I couldn't even get my nails done in the infant days because my mom couldn't even feed him a bottle. Nobody could. And he just refused the bottle. And apparently it does happen. There's a couple factors that can, I'm not going to get into that, but there's a couple factors that can cause babies to not want breast milk okay. out of the bottle. One is like high light base. When you're, once your milk hits the air, it kind of turns into a bitter right. taste. So coming out of a bottle, they're not going to drink it. Sometimes it's called COVID and it's called attached mom <laughs> who lost a child who never set yeah. her baby down. So there's that you option too. To but anyway, so it's like, I'm always having this cover on. I felt like I really wanted to get out because it was COVID. I was struggling with the cover. Then we're traveling. I'm on planes with my baby, trying to nurse him going to a customer. So I'm on a college campus. I would go meet my mom, nurse my baby, go back to work and like all of this stuff. And I'm like, we need cuter clothes. We need clothes that are practical, that are everyday wear. And I'm not talking about some floral dresses. No, I'm not talking about that. Like I'm talking about basics. So I have a patent pending. Well, you can't see it, but it's over there. I have patent pending on a horizontal zipper across any garment. And I created Zippy Mama, which is breastfeeding friendly clothing, postpartum clothing now, because I have pants that are postpartum C-section friendly. It's really grown. I started off with like a sweatshirt and a t-shirt and a sports bra. Now I have rompers, dresses. and We like, have a whole line. Why did you name it Zippy Mama? Well, actually it was called Motherly. So when I started, this is actually an interesting fact, but when I started, the reason why I knew I could do this is because on TikTok, I started doing brand sponsorships. So brands would pay me to promote their products on my page. And you get an affiliate link. So I was actually seeing how much me posting on TikTok, how much money that company was making off of me posting a video. And then I would get 
of that. And I'm like, could you imagine if I had my own freaking product? So what I... No flies on you. So what I did is... (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm like, if I just made one TikTok video and that company made $300,000, are you kidding me? I need to have my own thing. So I went on YouTube and shout out to Cal State Fullerton for kicking me out of business school because I didn't need you anyways. I went on YouTube. I figured out how to get an LLC, how to get an EIN, how to find a manufacturer, how to bargain with a manufacturer. Is like, I figured out every single step from YouTube. Okay. No one taught me anything. What I ended up doing is I had brands that I would work with and I would say, Hey, instead of you paying me for a video, can I make some videos for you for free? And then in turn, you give me some of your expertise or can you loan me your lawyer to, bartering. you know, smart do. Yeah. So I would be like, cause I didn't have any at the time. Like I had put away my corporate jobs bonus, which was like, $20,000. I was like, that's all I have to start this business. So I had to barter with other brand business owners for their expertise. So actually, Zippy Mama was called Motherly without the O. So it was M T H E R L Y. had like a whole, I had, you know, whole website and everything. And I had one of the brands that I was working with. I did an exchange with him. He loaned me his lawyer to look over all of my specs and stuff. And the lawyer's like, you have trademark infringement. Oh, I can okay. tell you right now. And it, yeah, he's like, I tell you right now, you already turned in your trademark, but you're going to get infringement. And so I did. And so I had to, and I hadn't launched or anything. Here's another pivot. So I was, <laughs> yeah, I was about to go into production two days later. So I had to call the production be like, stop production. And I randomly came up with Zippy Mama on the spot with this lawyer. He's all, well, what do you think? There's zippers in it. Zip, like, and we're like throwing things out. My mom's on the phone and she's like, what about this? What about this? And I started, I went onto my little graphic design thing and like came up with a little logo, which if you look at it, it looks like a boob, but it also looks like a milk drop. Okay. So if you look at my logo, it looks like a boob or a milk drop, which I was like, this is so funny. So called it Zippy Mama got it trademarked, got the patent going. And all of this was done from me bartering with different people. So I would make free videos for them and exchange for their- This is so great. I love that you're telling people how they can get there, even if they don't have the resources, that none of these obstacles have to stop you, right? There's other ways to, you know, the whole bartering and and doing something and getting a return, which was what they did in the old, old days, right? But a lot of people don't go ahead and- realize their dreams or pursue them because they can only see the financial obstacles or, you know, the relationships aren't there. And you're here to say, yeah, you can make that happen. It's going to take a lot of hard work, a lot of resilience, but it seems like you were came out of the womb like that, Danny. The more I talk to you, the more I realize that this is part and parcel of who you are. I mean, you were that at a young age, right? Well, one thing actually you taught me is like, the networking side of business. Because when I met you, I was just a revived me, you know, and I still didn't know how to talk to people and stuff. And like, I remember us talking about just like business and networking is a big thing. And what I realized as a business owner is I thrive on helping others. So I knew that like, there'd be people out there that would want to help me, especially if I'm making them (laughs) $300,000 off of a post. And all I'm asking for is borrow your lawyer for about an hour and a half. Like, but I would do it because it's nothing out of my pocket to make some of those videos, you know, especially it's products that I like. And that's why I trusted these people. So I got a lot of expertise, which is one of the things that I think, you know, 
And then it just took off. I started making my, I sold out of my first inventory on like the first week. (laughs) It was like in my uncle's warehouse and I was just ripping through packaging everything. And it, you know, it slowed down. Last year, I got an opportunity to travel with the Marriott as a TikTok correspondent. I know. Again, you get on somebody's radar because of what you're out there producing. You won that, right? Yeah. So so Marriott Bonvoy had put out a competition. Like We're looking for people to come travel the world and share their experiences on TikTok (laughs) on our page, like their own personal correspondent. So my whole argument with them was that... And they told me, they're like, we're actually calling you, but you're not what we were looking for. We're looking for Gen Zers right out of college who are going to go to the hotel bars and do all this stuff. But my whole argument was 80% of people that are traveling are families. And those families want to know how to travel. And you'd have even more families traveling if they knew that the hotel has a pack and play. Or if they knew that you could get from A to B doing this way. I was like, let me teach parents how to travel with kids. And months went by and I got this knock at my door with this box and it said Marriott on it. And I was like, you got to be shitting me right now. This is not possible. So I kind of had shut down my shop because I'm a one-man show. And I kind of had shut down my shop last year because we traveled. We did 30 hotels. No, we did about 15 hotels, 30 nights. Well, actually, it was like 42 nights. Tell us the places you visited because they weren't around the corner. So. No. So we started off in like San Francisco. They had just made this new room. It was with Ted, you know, Ted Talks. The Marriott Marquis is the home of the Ted Talks. And they had this escape room, hotel room. And I was the first person to stay in it. And so you have to figure out all these clues and stuff starts popping out of the wall. It was crazy. It was so much fun. So they had me. And that's your actual bedroom. I mean, that's the room you stay in. It's your bedroom. Now I want to say corporate companies probably go and, you know, they spend an hour in there and the team, like a team building thing is I think what they're going with. But yeah, you can rent the room. And so we did that. We explored like San Francisco and then that was just sort of like maybe one or two days. And then we headed to Spain. We did Madrid and Barcelona, which I'd never been to. My mom's obsessed with Barcelona. However, I was obsessed with Madrid. So it was in my mom's been there before. So she knew exactly where to go. And we just like, we got the content. So you had your mom and Rhett in tow for all these trips. I brought my mom and Rhett. And so, I mean, these are 15 hour flights. Rhett did amazingly, but I had to do a lot of research because of course I wanted to make sure that I was telling the parents all the right things. And then we came home, we went to, um, I did Arizona. I did some local stuff. So I did Arizona, Zion. I did Scott's Camelback Inn. Oh my God, it's probably my favorite hotel. If you haven't been, it's in Scottsdale. Oh, your husband. You guys got to go there. Oh, he is would be golfing? in heaven. It is like a golfing, but they have the nicest spa. This place is beyond. It's my one of my favorite hotels. Um, and then we did downtown Phoenix. And then I went to Zion. So I got to hike Zion. And that was super cool. I went actually on that one by myself. And then we went to Australia. So we did Melbourne and Perth. Wow. And then we went to Bali, which was, I can't even find the words of the experiences that I had in Bali. Beautiful. I was never going to leave. Let me just say this. When the driver came to pick me up, I was hyperventilating so much that I am leaving this heaven Mm. and I could not get in the car. I was like, we can't leave. Something had come over me where I was like, I cannot leave here. It was, and it was 
from the way they cared for my child, the mannerisms that they have, the respect that they have. We were obviously at a Weston. So that's just like even elite. Just so many things and like emotional things had like happened to me on this. It's very spiritual place. And oh my God, I was hyperventilating. Like it was crazy. I can't even, it was something had come over me. I was like hyperventilating. Makes me want to go. Well, I mean, it's really marketed as such a beautiful destination. So it's on my bucket list as well. Yeah. And then we finished it off and oh, well, then they sent me to the Grand Prix. I could talk about that all day long. I mean, I'm a Met Brad Pitt. I was, I was in a race car. They raced me around the track. I was in the paddock club. I was being all fancy. I rented a Gucci bag to just be like, look at me. I'm so cool. But that was a crazy experience. And then we finished it off in New York. So we did New York, Philadelphia, Washington, DC, which is so cool. I freaking love the East Coast, man. Like that's my home ground. I'm yeah. from Jersey. You know that. Yeah. I work in New York oh, still. Of course. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Very familiar. Such a good opportunity. But I had to shut Zippy Mama down during that time because I'm a one man show. So you can't do it all, but you choose when and you know what to focus on. But I didn't know the background story that they approached you and they were kind of telling you why it wasn't a good fit. And then you showed them why it exactly was. Again, a testament to you and a message out there for all of us that, you know, the first no doesn't have to be the final answer, right? And then to explore it and that, you know, to pursue what you believe to be your purpose. So what I want to know is what's next for Danny Morin? You know, I always got something up my sleeve, to be honest. And it's so funny that you have a podcast called Unscripted Pivots because I just laid out a chapters of a book that I wanted to have. And as I was like writing the chapters, it was about all these little decisions that I made in my life that had a huge impact. And I'm like, is this like your, you know what I mean? Like all of these little (laughs) things. So I would love to write a book. I was thinking of maybe getting on a train and going across the country and writing the book the entire time on the train or renting Mm. an Airbnb in Oregon and just ripping through it. Of course, I don't have the time. And I think also things are a little slow for me. I'm doing a lot of user-generated content where I make branded content for brands that I don't post on my page, but that they use as ads. And I Really? I didn't even know that. So I can find you elsewhere in addition to Danny Warren 13. You'll see me come up on ads on your Facebook or on your Google or on your YouTube, but I... Your picture comes up on ads? I'll make videos. So I may make a video for this water bottle, right? And it's not a sponsored post on my page, but I make it for brands. It's called user-generated content. You do not have a following to get into this business. In fact, my brother's done videos. My mom does videos. It's called UGC. Go on YouTube, look it up. But it's a great... And you put in your mind, like, I want to make $10,000 a month doing UGC. Okay, hustle. You could do it. Or... I'm thinking of my daughter. This is right yeah, up my daughter's or alley. It's, I mentor a couple people that are actually in their 60s because that's a great demographic you make the most money. And I mentor them, they do UGC, and they just want to make a $1,000 extra a month. And so it's kind of like up to you how much you want to do. But yeah, so that's kind of like what I've been doing now. And it's really fun because, you know, I could play around with it. It's more like acting gigs, like you have to think of it, like they call it video modeling or video acting, like content act, whatever they all these different terms, but the term is UGC. So I've been doing a lot of that. But yeah, I don't know. I always have things up my sleeve. I'm going to start working with a company who's going to scale my business because I realize like, what's the one thing that I do really well in my business? And that's making content. 
Yes. Even with Zippy Mama making the videos. So like I'm ready to kind of like outsource help to just scale it. And I connected with this guy, networked with this guy that I've been making videos for some of his already clients. And he had no Mm -hmm. idea I had my own business. So he's like, you know, I could help you. So I'm going to try to barter with him and do some trades like, hey, I'll do some free videos. (laughs) Like you help me in my business. So we'll see how that happens. But I'm just really, I just want to focus on dating. And I want to see, is that something that I could do? I want to have another baby, but I would like to have a baby with someone else if that's on my heart. So I just want to see Mm -hmm. like, I've been so inundated with the hustle culture and I want to slow down a little bit and just try this out and see like, is the dating thing going to be for me? If it's not going to be for me, then that's fine. I'll just go have another baby on my own. But I really want to put my best foot forward on that. So I'm going to slow down and I think it's okay to take a pause. The hustle will be there all the time. But like, I think it's okay to to take a pause or like to maybe find yourself and continue to be the best version of you. I couldn't agree with you more. Great things come out of the pause. And, you know, unless we stop to stop a minute, we're not going to see what's right in front of our eyes. Often we, we miss it, right? It's like take one day at a time, live in the present and the future will take care of itself. You are just a beautiful, energetic spirit. I love our friendship. You inspire. You inspire me and you inspire so many people that I'll be listening to you when this launches. And I thank you for your time, Danny Morin. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's see what 2023 brings. I love well, I'm it. I'm so excited right. for your podcast. I wish you the best of luck. I just know this is going to take off and everything starts slow. So just, you know, mm-hmm. let it lie where it does. But no, it's going to be great. All right. Thanks. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and conversation. Check out the show notes to stay in touch with my guests. The community grows when we spread the word. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and perhaps share this episode with a friend by text or on social media. And remember to tag me on Instagram under Unscripted Pivots. And next time you experience that WTF moment, remember, we are women that flourish.